verses 21 through 39. So you've got your wee sheets there. You should be able to follow along. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you done, or what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset they brought they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. We're working through um, some of the key passages in the Gospel of Mark. If you're visiting with us for the first time, um, don't worry, because we're still sort of in the introductory phase of what we're reading together in the Gospel of Mark. Um, Last week, we saw, among other things, the headline of what Jesus came to say and do. And we can understand all of Jesus' ministry, his actions, his words, particularly in the Gospel of Mark, through this headline. He says in, in chapter 1, Jesus came saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the Gospel. And so everything that we see Jesus say, do, and teach comes under that headline. And so we get today then a first glimpse of what that looks like for Jesus, what it looks like that the kingdom of God is at hand. And don't forget, we saw last week when, when Jesus says at hand, he doesn't mean uh, sort of near as in the clock is ticking and the countdown is on, but he means it's near as in proximity, the person, I am here. I, I am here to bring the kingdom of God. And so what we'll start to see then today is what that looks like for Jesus to be preaching and demonstrating the kingdom of God. Uh, and so we'll see today, uh, first of all, kingdom authority. We'll see kingdom, secondly, kingdom mission. And thirdly, we'll see kingdom calling. 
kingdom authority, kingdom mission, kingdom calling. And what we're seeing here is Jesus beginning then to express his kingdom authority. We're already introduced at the start to Jesus, the Son of God, um, at the beginning of Mark's gospel. And so we start to see him demonstrating that to um, the world, his identity of who he is. It, it comes with power, right? It comes with a punch behind what he's doing. So we see this kingdom authority um, through Jesus. So, let, so let's examine that a little, a little more closely. Uh, we see, first of all, the, the kingdom authority in his teaching, right? In his teaching. Uh, James read to us, beginning of verse 21, and uh, really this is sort of charts the first Full day of Jesus' ministry, right? After he's commissioned and baptized and tempted in the wilderness, then he gets going. And this is a very full-on 24 hours, um, it must be said. So he begins, it says in verse 21, he went into Capernaum, the the local town, and um, there he was on the Sabbath, and he went into the synagogue. And when you read through the Gospels, you start to realize this is his practice, He goes into the synagogues because that's where the the religious people, the people who are committed to the scriptures, that's where they hang out. That's where they gather. And and so what traditionally would have happened is uh, in each uh, synagogue, uh, it was under the care of a a leader of the synagogue um, who would be anything from the librarian to the caretaker who would sort of pick pick the songs, pick the psalms, that kind of thing, um, but would also open up and invite the teacher, or whoever it happens to be, coming and visiting, to come and open the scroll, read the scroll, and then sort of explain it, teach it. Um, And so that's what we see Jesus doing here. He was teaching. And you can see in verse 22, the effect right off the bat, the effect of his teaching. There it is. Wasn't boring, wasn't dull, wasn't dry, wasn't prolonged. It was astonishing. It was amazing. And it says, In the words of those who were listening, he taught them as one who had authority, not like the religious scholars of his day. Even down in verse 27, after this amazing episode, they were all amazed and they questioned, what is this? A new teaching with authority. Jesus had authority, kingdom authority in his teaching. He was captivating. He connected with his audience It was a new teaching, something we've never heard just like that before. Mark doesn't tell us exactly what Jesus was teaching on, what passage of scripture he had opened up. We only get two episodes in all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, um, where we actually find out what Jesus was specifically teaching on in the synagogue. Loads and loads of information about what he taught on on the hillside and in the boat and, and with his disciples but not so much inside the synagogue. So um, just allow me to show you roughly what Jesus would have been saying. Um, We can see, for example, in Luke chapter 4, another episode, Jesus teaching in a synagogue. And Jesus opens the scroll of Isaiah, chapter 61, uh, as we would understand it. And he reads this thing out and he says, according to Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news, uh, to pronounce freedom for the captives, And to proclaim that now is the day of the Lord's favor. He was quoting from Isaiah. And he rolled the scroll up, sat down, and said to his listeners, Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Effectively, Jesus was saying, 
We've just read from Isaiah about this one to come who is going to be anointed by God to bring the kingdom of God. Well, I'm it. I am he. Today this has been fulfilled. And it says in Luke 4, they marveled at his words. They were astonished. Or another episode, for example, in John 6, um, again in the synagogue, and the conversation was all about the bread called manna that the, the God fed the Israelites with when they were wandering around the wilderness. When they come out of Egypt, wandering for 40 years, he fed them with this stuff called manna. And Jesus said in his discussion, that stuff was just a picture. I am the bread of life. Come, come and feed off of me. I'm the one. So see these two episodes in other parts of the Gospels where Jesus enters into the synagogue, opens the scrolls, finds the places where the prophets spoke of the one to come and said, I'm he, I'm it. Today this has been fulfilled. Can you start to see then why they were so astonished at his teaching? This was new. This was with authority. And yet he made these massive claims. He was, he was winsome. He was compelling. He was engaging. And they loved it. They loved it. Authority in his teaching. But that's not the only authority we see Jesus have in this first 24-hour period. We see here he has authority over the demonic, right? Over the forces of, of darkness in verse 23. Right there, probably in the middle of his sermon, um, this, this bloke walks in and it says he had a, an unclean spirit, otherwise understood to be a demon. Um, and this man, we don't know much about him, just that he was effectively oppressed or controlled in some way by this demon. And this demon is actually able to speak using the man's body, speak from within him somehow, and, and, and says uh, to Jesus, directly addressing him, uh, what are you doing? What, have you come here to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. That would be, let's just face it, that would be pretty freaky, right, if that happened to us right now. I'm not saying it could never happen, but that would be, it wouldn't be our ordinary experience, right? But that's what happened to Jesus. And here we see, then he rebukes the Spirit. He just tells it off. He says, silent. And he's silent. And then he says, come out. And he comes out. The demon is gone. The man is free. The word of Jesus was enough. Right? No incantations. No prolonged prayer meetings. No spells. He just spoke. A word of authority and the demon fled. In fact, this was Jesus' first mighty act that Mark records, and it just happens to be his authority over evil. Kind of like moths to the light, demons were attracted to Jesus, not because they loved him, but because they couldn't do anything other. They saw his authority. They came to him. And we see similar things in the, the book of Acts as well. After Jesus died on the cross and rose again and went back to be with his father, um, the, the, the disciples continued in his ways. We'll think about this in a minute. But we see the same thing, these clashes time and again with the demonic, those who are oppressed by, by evil, by demons. And again, we see them have authority over 
the demons. This clash of two kingdoms, the kingdom of, 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 of God versus the kingdom of darkness. And there is a war on. But yet we see in these early exchanges, who has the authority? It is not even a contest. Jesus speaks and it is done. Darkness and light can't coexist. Jesus has authority and he shows it. So uh, teaching, uh, authority over the demonic, authority over sickness, verse 30, right? Immediately, he left the synagogue, wanted to have a lie down, a bite to eat, perhaps, who knows? But though they entered the house and it was Simon Peter, came to be known as Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, and Simon Peter's mother-in-law was sick with a fever, Okay, uh, for us that would mean if you have a fever, you have to go and get uh, COVID-19 checked at your local drive-in. For them, being ill with a fever was incredibly worrying. They didn't have the technology that we had, they didn't have the medicine we have, obviously, this is 2,000 years ago. If you had a fever, there was a high chance that you might succumb to it, you might die, it might get you, whatever infection or disease it happened to be. Often led to death. But I love this, verse 31, and he came. Jesus came, he lifted her up, took her by the hand, and the fever left. Immediate restoration. Jesus came. Just reflect on that at home. Jesus came, he came to her. Simple gesture, right? But complete healing. And it says she got up and served them. Uh, loved on them with the way that she could providing for them. And it says in verse 32 and through the 34, Jesus then spent the rest of that evening doing the the same thing, multiplying those acts, healing, casting out demons. It says that the whole city heard about him and came to him that evening. What a full-on first 24 hours of ministry. Huge. You can see through these things, Jesus comes with kingdom authority. Massive. But don't forget, he's the son of God. He is filled with the Spirit beyond measure. Therefore, he has authority, right? And here we can see him pushing back the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Satan. He is starting to topple it. He's starting to crush it. He's starting to destroy the enemy. Ultimately, he does that completely and fully on the cross through his death and his resurrection. But here we get a foretaste. Jesus has authority. See, the thing with authority, whether it's the demon Uh, the audience, whether it's us today, the thing with authority is that you're either under it or you're against it. You either recognize it or you reject it, right? You either welcome it and you come under it and you say, yes, I will give myself to this authority that I see, or you reject it and you walk away and you say, no, I'm not going to come under that. And you can see that this is radical. How how you respond to the authority of Jesus will mean that your your life will take a radically different course depending on whether you accept his authority into your lives or if you reject his authority and choose another means. Your life will take a radically different course. Rejecting, sorry, recognizing and receiving the authority of Jesus is what it means to be a Christian. All right. So, let me address you. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, great. But let me ask you this, as we, as we consider the authority of Jesus, do you still recognize 
the authority of Jesus in your life? Do you still recognize, I'm not saying did you used to and made some commitments, praise God, right? But do you still recognize his, his authority in your life today? Do you still welcome it in your life today if you're a believer? Are you, in other words, are you increasingly giving yourself to him so that he may have authority over all of your life? All of your life. Are you astonished as you grow in your love and your devotion to Jesus? Are you astonished like the hearers were here? Or does he kind of bore you these days? Do you recognize and welcome the authority of Jesus? If you're not a believer, and you know that, you know you're not a believer, and you're just maybe looking in, you're you're thinking, you're examining the claims, I hope you can see the claims that Jesus is making implicitly here in in these verses. Can you see the signs that he is using to back up his claims that he is indeed the Son of God, he is the Messiah, he is the Spirit-filled man? Can you see that? That's what we're dealing with here when we're thinking of Christianity. What do you think about those claims? Do you think, are they credible? Could it, could it be that it happened just like Mark wrote? What do you think? So kingdom authority. Secondly, we see then kingdom mission. Kingdom authority, kingdom mission. Don't know if you picked up um, in these verses, this word immediately comes up quite a bit here and even from the last few weeks. Immediately, immediately, immediately. I don't know, four or five times in our text today, immediately. High-paced, right? The sense of urgency. It's this sort of uh, you know, grammatical uh, method to communicate something of the urgency uh, in, in, in the narrative here, the story pushing forward, always pushing forward, always something next. Of course, according to Mark, the massive climax of the life of Jesus is what happens on the cross. Right up until then, Jesus is on a mission, always going to that end, this great climax. And even in this short space of, of verses we've just read today, there is this... Um, you know, a lot of stuff has happened with such huge significance. But look down at verse 28. It says, even after this first interaction with the forces of darkness, at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And we've just seen earlier as well um, how the whole city, so to speak, gathered at the door of the place he was staying. Right? His momentum is gathering pace so fast. This is just the first day of his ministry. So fast. But then in verses 35 to 39, we're going to zone in here for a few moments, we get a a snapshot of Jesus' uh, devotional life. Um, Quiet moments that he takes away, time alone with God. It's so instructive, so helpful. It says in verse 35, rising very early in the morning, he, while it's still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Going off on his own for, for solitude, seeking a place of sanctuary, away from the, the clamor and the noise of the crowds. He wanted to be alone in that moment, quiet, just him and his father, just the two of them, praying. 
And last week we, we, we saw how Jesus, the Messiah, yes, he's the son of God, but he's also one of us, right? We saw that. And here we see that reflected again. You know, just like us, here is Jesus praying. He's talking to his God. And during this moment, we don't know exactly what happened, but we could suggest he was speaking to God. He was pouring out his heart to his father. He was probably praising him, worshipping him maybe, maybe recalling some of the Psalms, you know, the, the songbook of Israel singing. He may have been doing that during prayer. Listening to God, listening to his father, just being still in his father's presence. We saw um, during the prayer course that we ran together as a church how varied prayer is. It's not just the list of requests that you bring every day. Please, God, give me this, 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 and this. It includes these things, but prayer is so much more. And no doubt Jesus, uh, the master, was, was doing all these things. So there he is, praying in solitude. Three times Jesus is recorded as praying by Mark. That is not um, uh, incidental. We see him praying here. We see him praying after the 5,000 people were were fed with with, with five loaves and two fish. Remember that? And then thirdly, we see him praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before he goes to his death on the cross. Each time, there is great pressure at these key moments to drift from his mission. Each time he goes away in solitude and sanctuary to pray, to listen because each time there is a great temptation to feed the beast, right? to listen to the crowds, uh, to, to give them the Messiah they wanted, to do some tricks, people-pleasing. Instead, he chose to pray. He chose to stay on course. Even, even the disciples here are part of the problem. You see verse 36, and Simon, Peter, and those who were with him searched for him. That word searched for him is used eight times by Mark, right? Every time it refers to a searching for Jesus uh, in order to obstruct him, to oppose him, even to destroy him, to remove him from the scene. And here we see, probably unwittingly, Simon going, saying, Oh, the crowds are looking for you. Come, give them what they want. This is awesome. Look at your popularity. And see, Jesus' response shows his single-minded approach to his kingdom mission. He says, nope. Verse 38, that was a paraphrase, by the way, it's not in the original Greek. Nope. We're going to go on to the next towns, because I must preach there also. That is why I came. That's my mission. Remember? Kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. That's why I came. And it says he went on in verse 39, and he went throughout all the region of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and what? Casting out demons. Just this battle continued. This was his regular work. He was fighting the kingdom of darkness. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Show and tell. Show them what it looks like. Tell them what it is. Both declare and demonstrate. I am the one and look at what I'm doing. But this is key. He prioritizes intimacy with God before going any further. Prayer, worship, presence, taking himself away from the maddening crowds, the voices that can so powerfully shape and distract us. 
Not saying that he was ignoring the crowds and the needs of the people, certainly not. But he was aware that right at that moment there was a danger of drifting away. Drifting away from the source of life, of his identity, of his joy. But from that place of fullness and intimacy, that is the place where he goes about his mission for the kingdom. Kingdom mission. And I, I, long, I long for us here at Foundation Church, I long for us to be a church that increasingly draws on God. That, that, that the, together as a community, that we foster this intimacy with, with God through prayer, through worship, through, through lives of deep repentance and renewal in the Holy Spirit to develop that, to express it more. We're doing it. But I long for more. I long that the words that we say are matched by the actions that we do and the power that we have because Jesus is with us. And we get to do that corporately in times of gathered worship and, and times of prayer, longing for freedom in the Lord to enjoy his presence, but also as a community of people, we do that individually, right? Through our devotion to, to Jesus, through uh, spiritually, you know, talking with him, eating him by faith, you know, enjoying him, being nourished by him. Long for that. I love this little section in Acts chapter 4. Many, uh, well, several years later, Jesus has done his uh, ministry, died on the cross, risen again, gone to the Father. And then we see the early church, right, the disciples carrying on his mission. And I love this because uh, Peter and John are up in front of the, the council, up in front of the Sanhedrin. They have been expressing the authority of Jesus. They have been on the mission of Jesus. They've been teaching the gospel. He's the Messiah. He's the resurrected one. And as such, they demonstrated that through healing the lame beggar who laid in front of the temple. And so the authorities hauled him in front of the religious council and gave them a hard time. I love this. In verse 13, chapter 4 of Acts, they said, When they saw the boldness of these two men and perceived that they were uneducated and common, they were astonished. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. Astonished. Where have we heard that before? The one who preaches the gospel, I am it, I am he. Astonishing. And here we see the apostles preaching the same. Astonishing. Astonishing. See, this happens when we foster intimacy with the Lord, enjoyment of God together. That's when we receive power to go out and ministry. That's where we receive filling of the Holy Spirit, affirmation that we are who he says we are, sons and daughters of the Most High God. That's where we receive the reminder of the promises he's given us. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will build my church. That's when we receive the power. When we are reinvigorated and reorientated around him. Let me say this before we move on. If you, are, if you as a Christian, are not actively seeking intimacy with God then you are at danger of burning out. You are at danger of disillusionment and frustration and spiritual decay if you're not actively seeking intimacy with God. 
because you, you, you'll be doing life in your own strength. Um, and very soon you will run out of your own strength. Everybody does. You will go cold. So if Jesus prioritized this time alone in seclusion with his Father to, to be nourished by him, how much more should we? I'm talking reflective scripture reading, I'm talking prayer, I'm talking worship, I'm talking stillness, I'm talking listening, I'm talking space, I'm talking time. That's what I'm talking. Kingdom authority, kingdom mission, thirdly, finally, kingdom calling. As I, I mentioned at the start of this series, I have never preached through a gospel before. And I've been teaching the Bible for 10 years, and I've never I've done bits here and there, right? Christmas time, little series, but I've never gone through a whole gospel before in church. And, and one of the reasons why that's happened is that I personally, confession, I have found it kind of difficult to connect with the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I can read it, I can understand it, I, I see what Jesus is doing. Um, but it just strikes me as being a different time. I mean, it was a different time, obviously. Completely alien culture. These are such huge events that we're reading about, that Jesus did. So significant. And yet, I've just always thought they're confined to that era when, when he came and he ministered. And then he, he left the earth and, and the church carried on. And so I've struggled and perhaps subconsciously I've just thought, no, well, We'll do something else. We'll, we'll go Old Testament. So I'm always, when I'm going through this, I'm always struggling and sort of wrestling and asking myself, how do I fit into this? And how do we as a community fit into what we're reading here together? What relevance does this have for us? And I, I, I've been challenged by that, right? I'm so glad. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. But I've, I've started to connect more. The more, who'd have thought, the more you spend, right, thinking and praying and reading the Scriptures, the more you start to connect with it. But anyway, let me show you here. I've started to connect, and I want to try and help you see how this connects to us and you as the church. We saw last week, Jesus, uh, before he starts his public ministry, he calls his team. And he, remember, we, we saw him, he goes along the, uh, the, the coastline, the Sea of Galilee, and he sees the, the two fisher, fishermen, Simon and Andrew, casting their nets. And he said, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. You've probably heard that one before. And he said the same again to John and James uh, a few moments later. Follow me, and I'll make you become fishers of men. He was calling them to be his disciples, right? We saw this. He was handpicking them. He was calling them by name. And he was saying to them, enter into your training. Um, what do you think they would have understood, though, by this term, fishers of men, or fishers of people? It's a generic word. Fishers of people. Well, of course, as fishermen themselves, they would have understood that that meant gathering in, not fish, but people, right? Not just one or two, but multitudes. That was their job. Gather in as many fish as you can. Jesus is saying, I'm going to help you gather in as many people as you can. Come follow me. I'll show you how to do it. Repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom is at hand. Follow me. And then we get to this section we've just seen today. Immediately, what was Jesus doing? He was teaching with authority. And he was casting out demons. And he was healing the sick. These two things are connected. Follow me. 
Kingdom is coming. Teaching with authority. Authority over sickness and evil. And when I saw this connection, it started to click a little bit. Jesus' show and tell. He's showing the kingdom. He's telling the kingdom. Watch and learn, he says to them, because one day you will carry this on when I'm gone. And so perhaps like me, uh, when we read the likes of the Gospels here, uh, you might be quite used to the idea that we're reading, we're seeing Jesus, we're learning about his words and his actions, um, his love, his sacrifice, and, and it evokes worship, as it should, and it evokes praise, because it's wonderful, and, and, and thankfulness. Thank you, Jesus. And that might be how we approach the Gospel, and that's completely right. And perhaps even further more than that, it, it reinforces our faith when we read uh, the Gospel again, because we're reading historic events, and it underpins this sense of faith that this actually happened, that these are real eyewitness testimonies. So maybe you get that too when you read the scripture, right? And that's good and that's right. Praise God. But here's the insight. Here is the key insight. When we read this as a church, we too are being trained up by Jesus. He effectively says to us through the scripture, follow me. And here's how. Jesus trained his disciples. He, he taught them about his kingdom. He demonstrated what the kingdom looks like. And then as we read in Acts, they went out with his authority. They went on his mission. They healed the sick. They cast out demons. They preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. They said it's all about Jesus. Repent and believe. That's what they saw their master doing. That's what they did, right? And so too the churches that came after them. When you read the New Testament, the churches multiplied. They preached, they healed, they demonstrated the kingdom of God. So my question to myself and to us today, why not us? Why not us? When did it all stop? Let's just stop here for a moment and focus on what we're thinking about. Because I think we have together here an opportunity as a church, it doesn't matter if you're new here or if you've been with us for a number of years, an opportunity for us to reinvigorate ourselves in what we're here to do and how we go about it, right? To discover this fresh conviction and calling in what we are to do. We say here at Foundation Church, we are a community on mission, and I think that as we go through, and we start right here today, we will receive a fresh understanding of what it might look like to be a community on mission from reading passages like this. So let's not minimize what we're reading here. Let's not minimize the impact of what's going on. Let's not truncate or shorten the gospel to be a set of beliefs that we believe in order to go to heaven. It is that. Praise God. But let's not underplay the jaw-dropping, astonishing, powerful implications of what we are reading here. In Jesus' name, we have the authority that we see here. In Jesus' name, we have the mission that we see here. 
check, check the other Gospels if you don't believe me. Um, do, do read through them. Read through the book of Acts to see how the early church took it on. In fact, you don't have to read through it. You can listen to an entire sermon series that, that uh, I preached last year here at, here at Foundation Church. Study the letters and see what the churches did with the, the authority and the mission of Jesus. Is church ever told to stop using the authority of Jesus in the Bible? Yes or no? Is the church ever told to stop doing the mission of Jesus to open the kingdom, to preach the gospel, call people to repent and believe? Are we ever told to stop doing that in the Bible? Does the Bible ever tell the church to slow down? Does the Bible ever tell the church, look, just teach the truth, but don't worry about the other stuff that we see? That was just Jesus. Does it ever say that? Is there an expectation somehow in the Bible or in church history that the authority and the power and the mission of Jesus is to fade out? And by the time we get to 2020, we're just teaching the truth in and of itself. Is the mission ever modified? Is the authority ever curtailed? Let me answer my own questions. The answer to all of these things is no. You will never find it in the Bible. So my question, as much to myself as it is to you, is this, why is a church, and I mean everybody here, right? Foundation, all the other church. What's happened to our mission and our authority? Where's it gone? Where's this radical calling because the Bible doesn't tell us to stop. So then what? If we are starting to see that not only does this tell us faithfully about Jesus and remind us of the historic context, but calls us into training to go and do likewise, so then what? So then what for us as a church? I just want to give four ways that we can... This might change, shape or challenge us... Um, as a community. Firstly, when we pray, thy kingdom come, what are we praying for? What are we expecting? Is it not this? Is this not the kingdom? Is this not the clearest view of the kingdom that you will ever get? So when we pray, thy kingdom come, what are we praying for? Is it not this? Are we not praying for the tangible presence and power of God to be out working among us and flowing out from our church into our city? Is that not it? It affects how we pray for sure, thy kingdom come. Secondly, surely it affects the way that you and I react to trials and challenges. Oh my goodness. Because say, for example, just for the sake of argument, the authority of Jesus is still ours. The mission of Jesus is still ours. And if we really believe that, then aren't we filled with a tremendous boldness? Like uh, Peter and John, these people have been with Jesus. Surely that will affect the way that we deal with trials and challenges no matter what they are. 
how we pray, how we react, what we're seeking for. Maybe a bit of overlap here when we say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Surely this, what we're thinking about this morning, affects the way that we are seeking, right? Hungering after this, cultivating this intimacy and this presence and this worship that we mean, may know, not just talk about, but know by experience the kingdom of God is truly among us. Pray, react, seek. Fourthly, as a church, surely this affects the way that we plan our future. Surely this shapes our vision for what we want to be. I don't want to be a big church with a coffee shop. All right? Those are great. Praise God for church coffee shops. They're usually enough. But anyway, praise God, right? Great place to build community. But, but if that's our vision, just to get there, then I, I, don't, I don't want to do this anymore. But if our vision and our hope and what we, we, we want to do is, is informed by this kingdom authority and this mission, then I will stake my life on it. This vision that we have at Foundation Church to, to bring the kingdom of God with the opportunities that he gives us, with the, the spirit that he pours out upon us, Surely this affects the way that we organise ourselves, how we present ourselves, what we do, how we spend our, our limited resources. And yet we do that in the kingdom of God. Surely this affects all that. Foundation Church Belfast is simply a small part in this powerful, world-changing movement that we are starting to see open up in the scripture. And so my question to you is, are you with us? Do you want in? Let's pray.